The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Javante, Jacob, Patia, Andrew, Tia, Violet, Dustin, Shahizi, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the third half of our three-hour tour and the second half of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our uh, roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome. Thank you. And they are joined by former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Dane, it's good to have you back. Hey, thanks, everyone. Um, you know, we uh, left off at the uh, end of the last hour talking about the uh, uh, treatment that uh, Representative Cynthia Johnson, a Democrat, was getting from the uh, Republican-led, uh, uh, the House Republican leaders who... Um, Gretchen Whitmer and other Democrats have said went too far in removing her from her legislative committees over comments she made on a a controversial Facebook video, and they took the same action against one of their own, um, Republican uh, Eason, and uh, Representative Eason was removed Mm -hmm. for comments he made in a radio interview, and... um, it it just it it sounds like we've got this uh, this strange partisanship thing going on this time led by the Democrats where, you know, I I can scold one of my own but you can't. Yeah, well, you know, I was just thinking, what if a white supremacist had said that? Do we leave him in place? Do we not censor him? Do we not check him? All hell would break loose because uh, we would have. Tremendous problems in, this, in these communities. So I, I think that uh, the legislature did the right thing in removing Cynthia from a position. And any uh, white supremacist or dissident of any kind 
whether they're Republican or Democrat, must be censored or checked or jailed or whatever. Yeah, as I'm thinking that, thinking this, thinking this over, Henry, I'm, I'm really st- still wondering whether or not censorship of some kind or or, uh, or a rebuke from the from the legislature would would have been more appropriate, because when you remove somebody from a committee, yeah, you're punishing that person, but you're also punishing their constituents who no longer have a voice in but those committees. But the, the constituents did see chose the wrong person for that, leadership. That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Well, the argument, I can correct that. the argument that uh, that the speaker and speaker elect made uh, the Republicans um, that they made uh, in uh, the action they took against Eason is that um, that kind of behavior uh, shouldn't um, didn't wasn't in keeping with the standards that a person should maintain to be a member of that body. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, go ahead, Dan. Go tough, ahead. I mean, I think the words really matter, and I think what Paul is saying makes some sense that, that these individuals should be offered opportunity to, to make a very clear apology and if they believe what they said was misinterpreted or, or maybe even they made a mistake. I, I do think it's different, though, for uh, Representative Johnson, who made kind of general remarks versus the um, Representative Eason, who was, you know, at an actual event where people were armed and were were mobilizing and then being asked if if things were going to be safe. And he said, you know, I don't I don't know. Um, so you, know, you always have to look at the, the facts and the circumstances I don't think they're exactly the same, but um, but I would like to see these individuals, you know, given opportunities to to really state clearly where they do stand, um, and just see everybody lower the temperature. and I, And I think that's why the the leadership has had to take this so seriously because it's just not it's not people to be raising questions about about viol- about violence in in politics. Dane, your responses are political, but we need some academic responses that people understand, not political responses, because well, it's something that works, that hits the ground. Dane makes a point that there was a a, a violence component to Eason's words. He he was asked in so many words if he could promise that the uh, protesters uh, against the state electors would not become violent and he said no and and it yeah, was there, it there was almost you know it was almost it was almost a condoning um an encouragement for people who are you know maybe prone to become violent to do just that yeah i have no i have no response but i have no um Objection to removing Easton. They did the right thing. But where do you draw the line for people in positions of leadership? And we've just spent four years uh, uh, listening to Democrats, you know, complain about uh, Donald Trump and his use of uh, Twitter. Um, where where do you draw the line? Where you know where do you say this is just not allowed in in uh, public discourse? 
Well, I think the next uh, president will uh, demonstrate how it should be done. We are hoping. Well, yeah, let's, let's hope we get back to some kind of more support. Yeah, so that, uh, you know, we've had people like Jackson was just like Trump. And so with some of the so other certainly, certainly one line that ought to be drawn was a line between speech and, and action. I mean, if, if there's a call for violence, that's yes. quite different than simply hot-headed words of some kind. Uh, I think I think there there is a line, and I think the courts have often drawn that line too, in terms of free speech issues. If you're calling for violence, that's yes. something else again entirely. And once violence starts, you you can't stop it, and and, and people don't have time to choose targets. To kill anybody, everybody's the enemy. So we don't want to do that. That uh, we need to discourage that kind of behavior. Well, the Michigan Supreme Court on Friday declined to hear a lawsuit from Donald Trump's campaign that sought to stop officials from counting absentee ballots. The lawsuit filed on November 4th asked the court to order Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson to stop counting absentee votes because of alleged issues with the counting process. The State Board of Canvassers certified Michigan's election results on November 23rd. On Friday, the state's highest court declined to hear this suit, saying, in an order, we are not persuaded that the questions presented should be reviewed by this court. Are the post-election lawsuits filed by the Trump campaign frivolous? In the eyes of, of a great many yeah. courts, they have been. I've forgotten the current number, 40, 35, 45. I, mean, I think the number changes by the day, but I mean, there's a slew of lawsuits that have been tried and almost without exception. They've lost on every, almost every one of them. The, the Supreme Court, in its great wisdom, decided the right thing. They knew that possession was 90% of the law. You had all of these votes and all the ballots cast. They had been consummated in districts. And, and uh, so, and there may be questions about these, but a process had taken place. And it was no place for the Supreme Court to act and come out of this safely and credibly by changing what has happened in an orderly process. I know the uh, governor of Georgia has certainly uh, gotten much, much better at um, choosing his words. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> True. He, he, he has been saying that there have been no incidents of, of fraud or any other kind of voting uh, shenanigans that would change the outcome. So he didn't. He didn't try to say that there there was just absolutely no misbehavior during the oh, election, yeah. which yeah. would be preposterous. But said that with all the the recounting that they did, they couldn't they couldn't find enough examples that would make any difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a nation of three hundred million plus people, you're going to have people who make mistakes, and there'll be errors, and there will be people here and there who try and do something off the wall. But in terms of, like I said, the overall honesty of the election, probably the most honest one we've, we've had maybe in American history. Uh, but, yeah, there are examples here and there where things have gone wrong. And I, I, I'm struck by the fact that uh, considering how much turmoil there was with the, the pandemic and the last-minute changes for shifting to mail-in and absentee voting, 
I'm struck by the fact that there weren't more mistakes made. I mean, the 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 local election officials did adjust pretty darn well to some rapidly changing conditions, and when push came to shove, did a pretty darn good job about getting things done, and both on time and fairly accurately. And Paul, that's yeah. saying that's saying a lot yeah. for somebody who still has a box of Dewey ballots in the trunk of his car. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 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 people, came, people came out to vote. I, I think that that all of um, you know the, this talk about um, you know illegal voting has really just taken away from the point. I mean, and maybe this is what President Trump just has a hard time um, dealing with. But a historic number of Americans came out to vote in the middle of a pandemic. So. Um, I, I really think the American people are to be congratulated, and we should be, you know, celebrating that our democratic process is strong, even when we're faced with these most difficult circumstances. And and maybe maybe President Trump just has a hard time with that. Um, but many of these voters actually came out and voted for other Republican leaders, um, but then also chose uh, Biden to be the next president. So um, yeah, you know, I, you're right. People are commended yeah i i i've often argued right. that if, if if the democrats were going to cheat we would have done a better job at it we would have gotten mitch mcconnell out of there and a lot of other people instead of just uh, just trump well yeah with all the effort that was put into unseating uh, mitch mcconnell in in conduct yeah in that, Kentucky, that, that, um and and against uh graham yeah yeah i mean for, frankly the republican except for the white house Republicans didn't have a bad a bad election day. I mean, they did fairly well in the in the House. They gained some seats there. The Senate, we'll see. And even in, in, in governorships and state legislatures, Republicans didn't did not have a bad day on election day. So, yeah, as I say, Tony, if Democrats were cheating, we would have done a better job. And local governments, uh, there were many Republicans elected to local offices. And in, fact, what, in what, the midst well, of Republicans the, picked up the, seats in the House. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We now we got to see what happens in the Senate. We still have until uh, January January fifth, I think is. The and it, I'm all done with uh, the presidential elections. I would give no more money, and I would support nothing else that deals with that because it's over. And uh, but I do. I am interested in how the leadership uh, in Florida, the, the two senators. Oh, in no, Georgia. In, uh, Georgia. Right. Uh, so yeah, I would I would have an interest in that. But other than that, I'm I'm not going to be negative toward uh, Biden. I'm going to let them take their course. And I've said this before, unless they do something stupid, and then I of course will to follow my what people ask me to do. Well, we're uh, coming up on another break, and 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 this is working out good today, Henry. I haven't had to cut you off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a great conversation. I really appreciate Dane Wallen. He is so methodic. He thinks things through, even though uh, he may be um, partisan. Uh, but he thinks things through, and it's well done. I appreciate that kind of dialogue. Well, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy this even more when we talk about. Uh, Paul Mitchell and uh, <laughs> Attorney General William Barr when we return. We're going to take yeah. a short break. We have more, right. arm, more armchair politics is straight ahead. Stay tuned. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. And the Tom Sumner Program. What do comic books have to do with Susan B. Anthony, Stormy Daniels, and Congressman John Lewis? Find out New Year's Eve 2020 on the Tom Sumner Program. Author Mark Schulman talks about comic book biographies of Walt Disney and Susan B. Anthony. The creative team from Tidal Wave Productions talk about a new comic book series called Stormy Daniels Space Force. Plus, former congressional aide Andrew Aiden talks about developing a three-part comic book series about the civil rights movement called March with Congressman John Lewis. The Tom Sumner program continues our look back at 2020 with comic books for New Year's Eve, streaming live from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night, simulcast on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. Happy New Year from the Tom Sumner program. And welcome back to Armchair Politics with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. U.S. Representative Paul Mitchell from Michigan has left the Republican Party over its refusal to accept President Donald Trump's loss to Joe Biden. In an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper Monday, shortly after Michigan's electors formally cast their votes for Biden and Vice President-elect uh, Uh, Kamala Harris, Mitchell said he can no longer be associated with a party that does not recognize the election result. Mitchell did not seek re-election and will serve the remainder of his short term in Congress as an independent. Would he be taking this action if he were running for re-election? It would be risky if he did. Yeah, I say Amish tried that out in western Michigan was not successful in the end. No, people get their loyalties very slowly. But I think it does raise the question, Henry, about about what what will the Republican Party look like in two years or four years down the road? Will it be the Trump Party, or will it be go back to the traditional Republican roots of of a Paul Mitchell or a or Mitt Romney or or others? Uh, I, I think that's an open question. I hope it contains all of those elements because they are all critical. The Republican Party is a party made up of individual components that come together and um, organize what that platform is going to be. People who all think alike, uh, saying the same things, you don't have anybody thinking. But the party has to have people who create uh, new issues and go in different directions uh, to improve their chances of remaining dominant. And if you've got people who are 
yes people and and doing the same thing over and over again, you won't uh, necessarily maintain that dominance. Yeah, I think uh, Congressman Mitchell might give us, Tom, a little bit of, of a glimpse of what's to come. I mean, let's not forget that Bernie Sanders is listed on the books as an independent, and, and he caucuses with the Democrats. Um, Paul Mitchell could have could have been independent, but still he could have chosen to, to caucus with Republican legislators. And and once in at least in Michigan, once we actually get um, honest and even congressional districts after uh, in the 2022 elections, it, it's going to be, I think, of benefit to people who who um, you know don't just play to their party base, but but attempt to really govern for their whole district. So I, I think it's we could see more of this in the future. I like that. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Well, Attorney General yeah. William Barr Monday said he would resign next week, ending a tenure in which the President Donald Trump loyalist carried the administration's law and order message, but ultimately dealt the most credible blow to Trump's claims that the 2020 election was littered with fraud. His departure was announced by the President on Twitter moments after counting in the uh, Electoral College put President-elect Joe Biden over the 270 votes needed to formally secure the presidency. Was this a surprise? No. No, he, he was going one way or the other. Whether he yeah. resigned or got fired, it was pretty clear that, uh, that his days were limited. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's he was. Curious, he was though, that, go, go ahead, Henry. No, you go. I was going to say, it's, it's curious he's, he's going to do this in the last, I mean, in, in what, December 23rd, I think, was the date. So somebody's going to have the chance to be attorney general for a month to add to their resume. It's, that, that's just kind of an odd thing to do it within the last month of a term. But it, it may give Barr a chance to, at least to, in some small way, to uh, resurrect his image after having been so loyal to Trump for so long. And well, I, 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 go ahead. Why hasn't... Uh... Why hasn't President Trump started jumping up and down on him like he has others that have left? Well, I think we're too well, close to the end now. Uh, yeah. As I said, we, we, we still have time. You never know he may do it. But, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, well it, just, it makes me wonder if, um, you know, if, if President Trump has, has moved on in some, in some way and is now starting to think in terms of these final days and weeks how he wants to leave. Well, you know, yeah. President Trump has been mortally wounded uh, by being associated with the Russian plot uh, to intercede in American elections. And there was no evidence, no proof given for that. And he had to live with that throughout his administration. And he had to not only had he, he had to deal with foreign uh, powers and and policies and so on and so, but with domestic policy, it was everywhere he went, he got uh, stressed and reactions from people who used that foreign claim to disrupt the order of his presidency this so, may the the last four years um there's no question that democrats spent a great deal of time trying to undermine 
President Trump's um, the legitimacy of his election and um, and and his authority as president. But I don't think it's that much different, maybe a little bit more aggressive, um, but it's not that much different than the way Republicans treated Barack Obama or the way that yeah. Democrats treated George W. Bush. But you got to remember, Republicans voted for Barack Obama. The, the statistics I saw was 20%. Mostly young people, uh, young ladies and young men out of college. But they, I remember loved, Mitch McConnell saying in so many words, yeah. we're going to make yeah. it a mission to see that this president is not right. successful. But, but Mitch McConnell did, did not represent a trend. It was a voice in the wind. And well, I think that's the nature of our, our politics has been so divisive, <laughs> not just with Trump, but I mean, and Trump may be the, the apex of it all, but I think we've seen this divisive politics for the last decade or two. Um, and well, it, that, and that's one, the question, Paul, is... Each one is built upon the other one. Um, it, you know, does that trend continue? Are we going to see the you know what has been trump's uh, loyalists yeah. and his base are they going to continue to try to disrupt a biden presidency um you know will republicans try and stop him from being successful um yeah. in other words is the pendulum just going back the other way or um is there a possibility now to move forward with a little bit less of that? Um, that a lot of that would depend on Biden. How yeah, the at least, right, that at least right now, it looks like Biden's trying to trying to modify that if if he can pull it off. It, it won't be an easy task, though, because like I say, I think it, it goes beyond Trump. It's going, we've had this element on, on, to some degree on both sides for the last ten, twenty years. It has, we've had some very divisive politics where working with the other side is, is, is a good way to get yourself uh, a primary challenger within your own party. And that kind of goes back to the whole gerrymandering issue of how, of how we elect people, that we tend to elect people who are either liberal Democrats or conservative Republicans, and anybody in the middle has a hard time winning much of the time, uh, and <laughs> to some degree, the way yeah. we... We draw election districts encourages that kind of thing. Yes, good point. So, and and as as Dane said, maybe with the, the at least in Michigan, maybe with this new uh, reapportionment commission, maybe we'll see a change in that process in the years to come. But we still have to recognize, as John Madison, as President Madison recognized, and Alexander Hamilton that even though the system is not perfect and we can live with the, flaw, the flaws and frailties of human beings, but we have institution mitigate uh, personalities, the fallout from personalities and the actions of human beings or men at that time. Mm, so right. uh, he realized that this kind of stuff would happen uh, they admitted that this was going to happen, so uh, there should be no surprises. That, but we, well, the government's responsibility is to limit the impact of these actions by such individuals or such institutions. Well, here's something I don't think they ever imagined. <clears throat> 
President Donald Trump signed a one-week stopgap funding bill passed by the Senate early uh, Friday to avert a government shutdown at midnight. The short-term spending bill, which the Senate passed by voice, voice vote, extends government funding by a week to December 18th and is aimed at giving lawmakers more time to reach an agreement on COVID relief and broader funding legislation for a new fiscal year. It passed the House earlier this week. So far, however, stimulus talks remain at an impasse over critical sticking points, creating uncertainty over whether an agreement can be reached. Lawmakers now just have one additional week to work out thorny issues that are currently holding up an agreement or potentially witness the collapse of the talks. Is this what Congressional Budget Oversight has come to, one-week extensions? (laughs) All too often that's the case, yeah. But one-week extensions? Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. I, I just try to shake my head at the whole business because, like I said, they've got till Friday basically to get these two major things done. I, I saw, I heard a story this morning. It looks like there might be some kind of a a pandemic crisis bill passed, maybe, but even that's not a not a guarantee. Uh, I don't, it's again, it, it's, it's it actually looks the like they've developed two bills um, that represent the interests. Of the of the two sides yeah. that haven't been able to agree, and they're you know I don't know what that how that will all play out. Neither do I. No, and they want to go home for the holidays, but they're, they're, they've got just a few days worth to to work something out. And yeah, I think there's pressure on both parties to to to, to come through with some kind of a package. I mean, I think that's it'd be disastrous. I'm, yeah, go ahead. Dave. Yeah, yeah, we go just ahead. really need we just really need the the sides to come together here between the overall budget and some form of pandemic relief. Um, you know, this this Congress could could take some very significant action here at, at the very very end of their term, and and I think the people would be would be thankful to see it. What do, you, what do you think we'll see? Um, of course, Washington has been overshadowed by um, getting the election resolved and, and uh, transition accomplished and so on. But are we going to see much action uh, from a, a lame deck legislature in Lansing? No, not in Lansing. No, I think that, that Lansing legislators have pretty much just just packed it in they, they know they've got the governor on the other side who can veto and um you know, i i don't think there's going to be much there well white house chief of staff mark meadows told food and drug administration commissioner dr stephen hahn he needed to grant an emergency use authorization for fiverr uh, pfizer uh, bio and Tech's, uh, coronavirus vaccine by the end of friday and if not he would have to resign, an administration official and a source familiar with the situation told CNN. Another person familiar with the matter, who also confirmed the demand that the vaccine be authorized by the end of Friday, said President Donald Trump has been venting about the FDA chief since the vaccine was rolled out in the U.K. earlier 
last week. The FDA announced the authorization late Friday night. Do you think the approval was rushed either by public pressure or White House pressure? I'm not sure that it was really rushed scientifically, but I think this, those statements are going to undermine trust in the vaccine, at least in, in some parts of the public. I think that's the most unfortunate part of those kind of statements when they come out. It's, the impression is going to be there that, oh, this is just a pure political thing and it was rushed and people may be reluctant to get the vaccine. I, I had something funny happen uh, vaccine-related uh, yesterday yesterday or day before, um, my, uh, my sister <laughs> sent me a package from Omaha Steaks, and they were bundled in, in a uh, styrofoam box oh, with yeah. dry ice <laughs> and right. shrink-wrapped, and it looked just like the cartons that were being <laughs> shipped out of Kalamazoo on Monday. That's right. That's and right. I thought yeah. somebody had just dumped a whole bunch of vaccine on my porch. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, oh, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, and, and I, I sent her a note and thanked her for the vaccine. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've see. had a number of those phone, those phone boxes arrive for, for actually from my sister my sister as well <laughs> that's true well let's see the uh, Supreme Court dismissed a lawsuit filed by the Texas Attorney General and supported by President Donald Trump seeking to declare the election results in Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin unconstitutional. In a brief order issued Friday night, days before electors in the four battleground states were set to cast their votes for President-elect Joe Biden, justices ruled that Texas has no say in how other states conduct their elections. The ruling issues a blow to Republican attempts to challenge the result of the November election. Was this the final blow to Trump legal challenges to the 2020 election? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it sure seems. I mean, that's what the still... Supreme Court said. That's that's a yes. It's over. Yeah. Uh, as somebody said on Facebook, he may still try Judge Judy, but I think it's all over, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he better hurry if it's Judge Judy, because she's uh, she's retiring fairly soon, I think. Well, is that right? I did I did know that. <laughs> yeah, I just I just read that that she had. Uh, well, at least she had set an end date to um, her contracts and so on with uh, whatever network she does her show through. Yeah. Um, but what about this this legislative uh, option on January sixth? Um, the idea that uh, that somehow the uh, legislature could um, throw out the electoral college results and then take their own vote which based on the way the um, delegations are divided up in in the house would uh, favor republicans yeah yeah uh, le legally as possible there's no there's no sign it's really going to happen i what i've seen is that so, there's there's probably going to be a few people who are going to make a motion to that effect but at least the indications are that it'll have little support. Do you think it'll at go that point. far that somebody will actually say it out loud? It, it was a little surprising that what 126 uh, 
uh, House members and, I don't know, a, a handful of uh, Republican governors joined um, yeah. that yeah, that was... Texas, they signed on to that Texas uh, suit that got dismissed by the Supreme Court? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, at least what I've, I've, I've heard that there'll be a, a couple of members of Congress who will make a motion, but at least at, as things stand right now, it looks like there'll be nowhere near uh, enough support for it, or maybe not even a second for it. I don't know. But it, I suspect for for local PR uh, moves, a few people may stand up and and say their piece to that effect. Dane, did you start to uh, weigh in? No, just that. Yeah, I, I think there will be a couple people who will, and I think that illustrates the the kind of polarization we've been talking about. But um, you know, we did have Senator Mitch McConnell make the statement that that he, um, you know, he basically accepted the electoral college results, and and that mm-hmm. tells you right there. You're not going to get a, a party line vote from Republicans if Mitch McConnell, and because there's just no evidence. I mean, that's that's the thing. We keep having this conversation, but you know, if if a if a court sees genuine evidence, they're going to be interested in looking at the case, and, and there just isn't any evidence. Yeah, that's true. Our our Republican. Uh... Are Republicans beginning to move away from President Trump's uh, influence now with this? You know, I saw, I saw one article suggesting that, that he, may, he may fade quicker than some people expect. They, they drew a parallel with people like Joe McCarthy, who had once great influence, but once, once he sort of fell out of favor, he just sunk very quickly in the public eye. Similar things for George Wallace and... Uh, even drew some parallels with Ross Perot, the various dissident folks we've had over the years. So, I mean, if I think there was an article, I think it was The Atlantic I saw within the last week or so, suggesting that Trump may fade a lot faster than people think. Now, that's not the majority view. A lot of folks think he's going to get a media outlet and get a radio or TV show and be tweeting all kinds of things for the next four years, which may well be the case. But Well, I expect uh, I, him to, to hold a big rally in Florida concurrently with the inauguration. That's, yeah, that's right. That's been speculated about. That's true. That's true. To kick off his 2024 campaign. And, and I'm uh, also anxious to see if he comes back from Mar-a-Lago after the, the new year. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. He's going to show up on inauguration day or not, or even show up in the White House in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I, I don't but, know. Uh, yeah, it's a very strange time. It really is. It's a very strange time in terms of we've had. There've been a few other presidents who have ne- who, who have not made it to the inauguration of their successors, but very few. I think Andrew Johnson and John Adams. I think may be about it. I believe. I think just about everybody else, when, even when they lost, did at least show up to uh, for the transfer of power. Well, it's going to be uh, interesting. I mentioned, or I've uh, been promoting that I have some special shows that are looking back at 2020, and one that I haven't mentioned is uh, New Year's Day, which uh, there were some high-profile people, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away this uh, past year and I'm going to be having uh, I'm replaying my conversation with Brendan Beery that we did right after 
Justice uh, Ginsburg passed away, and also two other people who had been guests on the show that were well-known people who passed away, Mary Higgins Clark and Carl Reiner, and I'm replaying interviews with them. So it's kind of a, you know, remembering the people who passed away this past year on New Year's, uh, on New Year's Day. Yeah, you know, well, mention some of. Go ahead and go ahead. Hey, <laughs> oh, we got a break. This is the unknown oh. comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. If you have a knack for sales and fundraising and would like to become a valued member of a fun team, you could be a good fit for the Tom Sumner program. Help us develop the underwriters needed to continue to grow our brand. Write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com. The Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, we have our uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Normally, I go right to the X-Files here, but uh, I, I actually uh, did to Dane what uh, usually happens to Henry at some point during the show. <laughs> I crashed right into a break, and Dane was just about to say something. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to mention that I, I learned, uh, sadly, of the passing of, of Olaf Karlstrom. So, oh, oh, no. People who had major impacts on our community. You know, he, was, he was a well-respected uh, attorney. Uh, his public service included serving as the, the Flint City attorney, which is never an easy job, and, and then his passion around conservation and uh, uh, Flint River Watershed Coalition and, and many other causes. So uh, I wanted to make sure we, we are thinking of him and his family here um, as we think about people who who just really um, served our community, you know, and, and, and passed away in, in 2020. Well, I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad known, you I've mentioned known, that. I, I've known Ole and Libby a long time, and, and Ole was vice president of Mott College when I first hired in there, and I got to know him there, and I, of course, Worked with him on many projects over the years. He's yeah, he was a uh, had a terrific influence on the community. He'll be he'll be greatly missed. And I uh, I've been uh, talking about some special shows coming up, looking back at 2020. And uh, on uh, the 30th, New Year's Eve Eve, um, Armchair Politics will be looking back at the events of uh, 2020. And you know, it's funny this year. Uh, has been different of course than than most years because of the pandemic and it it was kind of interesting when i started looking back through the year there really was a lot of stuff that happened it was just overshadowed by yeah. you know wall-to-wall coverage and and you know unfortunately uh impacts of the uh, you know, coronavirus it, it, it seems like like so much that you were mentioning something like the, the impeachment that seemed like that was a million years ago. That was only earlier this year, but it seemed like it was so long ago. In light of all the other events, like I say, the pandemic especially, the pandemic really has pushed so many things to the side. Yeah, there, um, yeah. there were a number of things that uh, that happened during the year. And, of course, not all of them were, you know, people passing away like Olaf Karlstrom and, and uh, um, we're just learning. And... Um, 
and and people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, some of those things uh, peaked through, but but most of the attention has been faced on the election or COVID-19. And uh, I'm going to try and make an effort with Armchair Politics on the 30th and some of the other shows I'm doing to look back at 2020 at at things besides (laughs) (laughs) COVID-19. Yeah. Um, although I have I have heard the year referred to as being 2020'd. That that's true. <laughs> it's, it's, it takes takes on a. In fact, so some I think somebody, some group is having a a 2020 calendar burning on New Year's Eve just to get rid of the the whole memory of 2020. Uh, it's been that kind of a year. I, I want to go to the 2020 class reunion for some high school to see if anybody shows yeah. up. Yeah. Everybody'll stay home for the class reunion. Well, That's I think right. we I think we've got time to uh squeeze in my favorite part of armchair politics, which is uh the coveted X Files. Well, a surrealist painting worth more than a quarter million dollars that was forgotten by a businessman at Dusseldorf's airport has been recovered from a nearby recycling dumpster, police said Thursday. The businessman, whose identity was not given, accidentally left behind the painting by uh, by a French surrealist at a check-in counter as he boarded a flight from Dusseldorf to Tel Aviv on November 27th. By the time he landed in Israel and contacted Dusseldorf police, the $280,000 or $340,000 painting, which had been wrapped in cardboard, had disappeared. Despite multiple emails with details about the 40 by 60 centimeter cardboard, or uh, 16 by 24 inch painting, authorities could not locate the artwork, uh, according to police spokesman Andre Hartwig. It was only after the businessman's nephew traveled to the airport from neighboring Belgium and talked with police directly with more information than an inspector was able to trace the painting to paper recycling dumpster used by the airport's cleaning company. My question is, would this painting have been overlooked if it were in a backpack? <laughs> Probably not. It would have yeah. been scanned 12 times. Hmm. How do you forget about a quarter million dollar painting? I don't know. Yeah, I can see why they didn't want to give the guy's name. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, sell him, sell him a bridge in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I imagine some of his... Uh, best clients would be rethinking their business relationship (laughs) Um, well those mysterious metal monoliths are popping up worldwide Um, a representative for the famed British street artist Banksy told Huffington Post Tuesday in a one-word response to speculation of his involvement nope Ever since the first structure of its kind was spotted deep in a Utah desert last month, people online have been guessing whether the reclusive artist had a role. The term Planksy even gained traction on social media 
as people suggested Banksy had something to do with uh, similar looking installations that have appeared in Romania, Las Vegas, the Netherlands, atop Pine Mountain in California, and on a beach on the Isle of Wight off the south coast of England. With Banksy's representative ruling out his involvement, it's still unclear who is behind the monolith, the most famous artist, a Santa Fe-based art collective founded by Maddie Moe, appears to have claimed credit for the Utah monolith, according to Mashable. The shiny, the shiny metal monolith discovered November during a helicopter survey of wild sheep prompted speculation of alien placement. It has since disappeared with only a pile of rocks and a small piece of metal left behind. It was in Huffington Post's request for comment. Designer Tom Dunford has claimed credit for the Isle of Wight monolith, telling the BBC he did it purely for fun. A group led by artist fabricator Wade McKenzie, meanwhile, has taken responsibility for the California piece. Uh, and that's according to the New York Times. McKenzie said he was inspired by the discovery of the Utah monolith, the monoliths in Romania, the Netherlands, and Las Vegas, as well as two newly reported in Germany and Spain, remain unclaimed. Well, what do you think? Global artistic collaboration, copycats, marketing stunt, or little green men? <laughs> I'll go with uh, marketing stunt. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a weird one. There's, I think there, there was also one in Lansing. Somebody there was either one in Lansing or East Lansing in front of some restaurant or some art gallery there too, uh, within the last couple of weeks. Well, we've talked about this for a couple of weeks because uh, you know it it popped up in Utah and then it disappeared and then it started popping up yeah. everywhere else. Um, I I thought maybe it was the same one on tour. <laughs> maybe so. Anyway, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, and I want to first say thanks to Dane Walling. It's been a little while since he's been able to join us, and I'm glad he was. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, I w I've been uh, teaching and um, not able to make the, the show time, so uh, hopefully some point maybe in the spring I'll be able to join again. It's always a good conversation, so thanks to all of you for being part of it. Well, we'll... we'll try to stay in touch and, and see when you can become available again because I always look forward to it Dane and uh, to uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter our roundtable regulars I, I, I can't ever thank you enough always good to be here always good talking to everybody and Dane my, my best to you and the family thank you and with that uh I guess it's time and to wrap up today. Wasn't living Henry out of that either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, happy holidays to uh, to all. That wraps it up for today's edition of uh, both Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Be in uh, at nine o'clock. And I uh, hope you'll uh, join me for that. Thanks again to uh, all of the participants in Armchair Politics and to all the listeners. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.